Hey, friends, thanks for checking out the 21 Gun Podcast. I am your host, as always, Kevin Sullivan. We have a hike coming up next week, my first hike of the year, believe it or not, uh, August 15th up here in Raleigh, North Carolina. So if you're local or if you want to take a trip out here, um, a little warm, <laughs> a little warm this time of year, uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Raleigh is a great city, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. Other hikes coming up will be Chattanooga, Tennessee on August 22nd, Quad Cities, Iowa on August 22nd, and then, uh, what the hell, we'll go September 5th out in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to go to that one too. Should be a good time. And as always, be sure to check out irreverentwarriors.com for all information and links to register for the upcoming hikes. Remember to register. They want to know how many folks are going to be there, and it just helps out with the uh, the coordination. Tonight's episode is with Alan Thrall. He is the owner of Untamed Strength. Alan is a Marine Corps veteran who served as a presidential security guard as well as the world-famous body bearer at Arlington National Cemetery. Alan also is a YouTuber that's best known for uploading barbell strength training, powerlifting, and vlogs on his channel. At the moment, he's earned, I think, 700, might even be close to a million followers on YouTube uh, with like 75 million views. So the dude is really, really successful at the whole social media game. That's about it. Had a great conversation with him. Um, I think you'll enjoy the episode. And without further ado, Alan Thrall. You might want to sit down for this. This is the new Star Spangled Banner. Let's go. 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 let us Starfangle banger, my AKA. Represent USA every day. Not just independent veterans, day. Like most of you voters ain't on you, face. But still, you don't want to embrace me. Where'd you grow up? Where's your background? Where do you come from? I grew up in Northern California, uh, in Sacramento County. A uh, place called Orangevale, which is a, just a town uh, outside of Sacramento City. Um, so I grew up there just in a, a suburb. I've got uh, four brothers. Grew up with my mom and dad, and that's uh, yeah, that's where I started. Cool. Uh, were you the youngest, middle? How did that work out? Middle. I okay. had two older. I have two older and two younger brothers. Okay. How did? And again, I don't want to jump ahead of myself here, but how did having three brothers? How did that play out into your your strongman career? I mean, were they athletic? Were they beating on you? How did that <laughs> that work out? Yeah, I didn't find or I didn't uh, get into strongman until I was in the Marine Corps. So okay. Uh, I had started lifting weights in middle school. Okay. That was in preparation for high school football. And I continued that. Uh, but I would say that uh, my two older brothers, when they were young, they played sports, but they weren't, they weren't uh, very athletic. They were, they were into getting into a lot of trouble. Um, and so I think that that's what uh, kind of convinced me or, or maybe aside to get into sports because they were getting into a lot of trouble. They were always in trouble with my parents. Um, they were getting the cops called on them. And so like having the cops come to the house Oof. and like, uh, it was, it was kind of scary for me. Um, they weren't doing anything other than like drugs and stuff like that. And so they were getting in a lot of trouble. Uh, cops were coming over to the house and, uh, you know, anyways, so I would, uh, I kind of saw that and thought, shit, I don't, I don't ever want to like, you know, be like these guys. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to get into trouble like that. And I saw, I really found, uh, my way in sports. Um, and because I was into sports, I got into lifting weights. My brothers are great dudes. They just were troublemakers as teenagers. Um, one of them's uh, in law enforcement right now. So they're definitely, uh, you know, turned around. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to paint a bad picture of my brothers, but, uh, they were just getting in a lot of trouble and, and I didn't, want to do the same thing they were doing. And so I think that, you know, I was kind of the first one to take sports seriously. Uh, I heard a, an interview, I think it was Joe Rogan with um, Tim Kennedy, who's that uh, there's not a lot of people involved in sports and that's making it very, very difficult to recruit for the military because you have more kids that sit around playing video games and are smoking pot 
And they're just they're just not given that opportunity. And without that that pool of kids across the country who, you know, have that discipline of showing up to a team, uh, showing up to practice, showing up off hours to work out, getting your sleep, getting proper diet. Uh, I don't know. It's just sports really, really play a huge role in kids. And I, I think it's it's one of the more important things that we have in school. Yeah, absolutely. As far as pushing yourself, you know, waking up, going to early practice or weight training, um, I think it instills a lot of things that are that are important outside of just playing a game, um, teamwork. You know, being holding yourself accountable because your team's waiting on you or depending on you. I think there's a lot of things that that sports can can teach us. And I don't, and you know, just based off my uh, experience, I coached uh, a high school football team, freshman JV and varsity before I had untamed strength just for one summer, and. Uh, there were a couple of good kids, but I couldn't believe, you know, I, I just was thinking back to when I was in high school thinking, you know, like there, I don't know if I'm, my perceptions just skewed, but I'm like, we were nothing like this. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, a lot of these kids weren't athletic. They didn't listen. It was like cool to buck up and like not listen to simple things that I'd ask them to do. Um, and, and yeah, and I don't know if that's, if that's across the board at all schools, but just here, cause I, I had coached at my, my, uh, high school. And so just the difference in, you know, those several years, uh, yeah, I thought, man, th- these kids are nothing like, you know, my teammates in high school. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah, something's changing, I think. Yeah. I, I have a, a son now he's seven. He just turned seven and I think about what I did. I have more flashbacks of my uh, time as a 16 and 17 year old that wake me up with a cold sweat <laughs> than I do of serving in Iraq. It's like, <laughs> man, the stuff we do. And and I don't know what I'm more nervous about because I have a daughter too and she's six. And it's like, oh, I don't know. Uh, hopefully, hopefully you lead by example. You know, you show the importance of, you know, staying somewhat fit and doing uh, showing your kids what I always say, and I, I write this a lot on Instagram, is be excellent in front of your kids. Let them see you um, overcome struggle, whether that's running a 5K or doing a strongman comp or whatever it is. And, and you know, I think that that plays a big role in how they are going to be and how they're going to grow up. So we'll see how that works out. Are you still yep. in the California area? Yep, still in Northern California. Okay. My last three interviews have all been Californians. I gotta, I gotta branch out to the the East Coast. I'm from New Hampshire, so. <laughs> okay. Um, did you have a family history of of military service? How did you decide to go into the Marine Corps? My oldest brother, the the one that I told you was a troublemaker. My oldest brother really turned his life around and decided to join the Marine Corps. Um, so he was a Marine, and he joined uh, uh, almost immediately after September 11th. Um, so he was a Marine and, uh, I didn't really entertain the idea of joining the Marine Corps, um, until several, you know, a few years after high school. Um, and it was in the back of my mind, the fact that he was a Marine, uh, you know, I also aspired to be a Marine, but it was more my own decision. Uh, but aside from my older brother, uh, no, there's no, no, uh, my, no uncles or, uh, mom or dad or nothing like that. So it, it was just the example of your brother or what was it about the Marine Corps that made you say that that's what I'm going to do someday? Yeah. So the reason I, I had d- decided just on the military was when I got out of the, when I got out of high school, um, I didn't, I didn't have much direction. I was going to a local community college. I had changed my majors several times. I really didn't get any enjoyment out of it it was fairly easy. I didn't, I didn't have much of a social life at that time because I had broke away from a lot of my high school friends who were getting into tons of trouble, um, uh, going to jail, lots of things happening with them. And I didn't want to be a part of it. So I was really just kind of on my own when I got out of high school and, uh, um, going to work, making an okay amount of money. I was just working at a restaurant, you know, busting tables, going to community college, community college was easy. I was getting straight A's, but I was doing classes that I didn't care about. And I had changed my major trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was just so tired of going to school just because I just waiting for something to happen. Um, so I didn't have any direction. And 
I think that a lot of high schoolers or a, a lot of uh, 18 year olds or teenagers when they get out of high school. And I think the same can be said for uh, uh, anyone who gets out of the military. Once you are on your own and you have to make your own decisions, it's really easy to get lost. Uh, you know, everyone says, you know, I can't wait to get out of high school. And then they're out of high school and they have to find a job. They have to figure out what they're going to do. They have to figure out how to pay rent, where they're going to live. So you have, it's all on you now. Uh, yeah. And it's the same thing with getting out of the military. Like, you know, actually just being told what to do and doing it in the military was, was actually fairly simple and predictable. But now that I have to figure out where I'm going to work, where I'm going to live, I have to make new friends. It can be really tough anyways. So I was at a point in my life where I had no direction and I wanted to challenge myself and I wanted to just kind of turn things upside down. And I had thought like, you know, some people move to a different country uh, and just really jump in. Uh, and I had wanted to do something like that. And I thought, I think the military would be a good shock to my system and it would be challenging. Um, and it, I just kind of said to myself for the next four years or however long I decided to stay in, uh, I just, I think that if I'm just told what to do, I'll do it and I'll do it to the best of my ability. And, uh, not having to, not having all this guesswork of what, I, what am I going to do? What major I'm going to have, where am I going to live? was, uh, was, was enticing. And so that's, that's what the draw of the military was for me was just a challenge, uh, to really, like I said, shock my system and get uncomfortable. Um, and it was good direction and I wanted some direction. And then I wanted to join the Marine Corps because my older brother was a Marine and I knew that that would be the most challenging. The Marine Corps has that reputation. Um, so you, your, your first job now you got into the Marine Corps. Did you get presidential, uh, protection right out of the gate or how did that work out? Yeah. So the way that that works is you in, in boot camp, uh, you are selected to do, uh, presidential security and, um, which is basically, which is security forces. Um, and they pick, you have to have an infantry contract Mm -hmm. Um, you have to have a certain qualifying score on your ASVAB. I think you had to have a first class PFT after the first PFT in boot camp. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so it's pretty simple, but that's, that's who they're looking for. And then, uh, I remember they kind of, you're kind of voluntold, uh, to do it. Um, they don't really give you an option, but I'm sure if I was to really be opposed to it and fight it, I'm sure they would have. I could have, you know, avoided it. But um, anyways, the, the first thing they do in boot camp when they uh, pull you, pull all these guys aside who are qualified to do this, um, they just, it's just a show of hands. Like how many of you have been arrested? And there's a few guys that raise their hands. How many of you have had a, a DUI? Um, and they just ask how many of you, uh, I think one of the questions was how many of you are, uh, first generation or how many of you, how many of your parents were not born in the United States? So just questions like that. And people are raising their hand up all over the room. And then they just say, raise, as you raise your hand, just leave. Cause it automatically disqualifies you. Okay. Um, and, uh, so anyways, you pass that stuff and then they, uh, they do some psychological tests in boot camp. And anyways, you're picked from boot from boot camp. And the reason is, uh, out of boot camp, you would go through normal infantry training. So after boot camp, you go to school of infantry, and then you have to go to security forces school, basic security guard school. You have to go to Washington DC to a guard company. And during all this, you have to wait for your Yankee white security clearance, your, your cat one security clearance to go through, which allows you to carry a weapon around the president. And that, uh, takes a long time. So they have to do all this selection stuff right out of the gate in boot camp. So that's that's uh, how I was picked for that. Um, so that was the the funnel of boot camp into uh, school of infantry, and then to Virginia for basic security guard school, to Washington D.C. to be a part of guard company, and then once your clearance goes through, you're either sent to Camp David or to uh, White House Communications Agency. And there are a couple Marines who are picked out of that whole bunch 
that go actually work at the White House. Um, those are like those are like the door guys. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you see on a, TV. Yeah, yeah. At a press conference, you'll see a couple Marines standing in the back. That's that's all they're doing. Uh, but I was uh, I was picked to go to Camp David, which is presidential retreat outside in in Maryland, outside of D.C. Um, and the Marines are uh, tasked with guarding that base. So whenever the the president or family goes to Camp David, we aren't providing immediate security for the president. That's secret service. We are guarding the base. Okay. Um, so that's, that's what camp David is. Is it, I mean, I'll just flat out ask, can it be boring? I mean, you're guarding a base where most of the time he's not there, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it can be, uh, thankfully we still, we like, you know, we're still working a nine to five or longer than that. Yeah. Uh, we're still working full days doing, infantry work uh meaning we're going to the we have our own shooting range so we're going to the shooting range or we're going out to quantico and we're still doing field training um so you're it's not it's not that you are standing post for you know two and a half years of being there um you're actually on like a there are three platoons of marines and from what i can remember it's kind of like you're rotating weekly so it's almost like you're standing post for this isn't set in stone but you're standing post for about a week and then the next platoon goes on for a week and the next platoon goes on for a week so you kind of rotate from standing post for a week or 10 days or two weeks to uh being reactionary force to being in training so you're you're not standing post the whole time um but yes standing post can be very very boring (laughs) do you get your your so where do your senior NCOs come from or even your junior NCOs? Where do they come from within the ranks or do they go out to a infantry unit and then come back? Like, how does that work out if they're taking you right out of boot camp? or is it no. a bunch of boots? Just <laughs> Yep. It's a bunch of boots. So it's, I mean, standing post the centuries. Yeah, yeah. It's a bunch of boots. We're all, we all went through the same thing. Um, they're all Lance corporals and corporals. Okay. Um, so they, they have all been in the Marine Corps for three three and a half, maybe four years and less. Mm -hmm. But the, uh, the NCOs, the sergeants, um, the whole chain of command, there's a first sergeant, there's a captain, there's a major. They, they are all, uh, from outside. Okay. They're all infantry officers or they've been in, you know, the sergeants that have been in for eight, nine, 10 years, staff sergeants. Um, so they all come into camp David and this is just like a, a duty that they were kind of randomly picked, you know, cause there's only one captain for camp David. Um, and so they just get selected to go there or they apply for it, but they're all, uh, infantry Marines. They have to be infantry Marines that come in to be in charge of camp David. What, but yeah, all the post centuries are boots. What's their attitude when they come in? You know, I, I, I don't know. Cause I don't know the, 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 um, culture or anything like that, but I assume these guys have, uh, CARs and they're, you know, they've, they've, they've gotten their or they've earned their stripes, so to speak. Right. And now they come in and they got a bunch of guys that come straight out of boot camp into this situation. Was there, I won't use the H word. I won't use the H word, but was there, <laughs> we'll call it harassment. Was there harassment involved? Uh, no, I mean, they, uh, I think they were all pretty, uh, just in my experience of being there, I think I went through two, two chains command in the time I was there. Um, but they're, they're all, uh, pretty level headed. And they understand that they're new. So they're there to watch and observe. Of course, when they're new, they always want to change some things or fix some things and optimize things. Um, but they don't come in, you know, uh, pretending like they know everything, at least the couple that, that I uh, was with. Um, and uh, they, they realize that they are, they're being watched uh, under a microscope, being anywhere near Washington, D.C., 8th and I Marine Barracks is like the headquarters of Marines other than Quantico, um, meaning that 8th and I, where you would go before you go to Camp David, the Commandant lives there, a whole bunch of other generals live there. Um, so they're, uh, that's where you know the Silent Drill Platoon is, uh, that's where the Marching Band, that's where the Marine Corps Band, that's where everyone's stationed, which is Camp David is an extension of 
Marine Barracks 8th and I. So okay. they they understand that they are uh, they're being watched. So they're not going to it's not some uh, you know, shitbag captain with long hair coming in and <laughs> you know, hazing everyone. It's nothing nothing like that. Plus they must have to get it's not your fault. You guys are are basically picked out of boot camp. So what are you going to do? I mean, yeah, and I suppose it's I mean, it's just like going to the fleet yeah. You're gonna. There's gonna be a bunch of private PFCs and lance corporals, yeah. uh, and then there's some experienced corporals and NCOs. Uh, but yeah, the majority of all, you know all all uh, companies are gonna be boots. A bunch of lance corporals and PFCs. Did you know the guy who held the the umbrella over President Obama when he was giving some speech? I know he got a lot of flack. Uh, I think I did. <laughs> I I vaguely remember, but. Uh, I think I honestly did. Uh, the, he was at the barracks when we were there. Okay. They, uh, so what they do was there? Was there anything beyond that, or did you just want to know if I? Yeah, I just remember like it, it was a class. I mean, Obama was given some sort of speech. I think in the Rose Garden. Wasn't and, it like he just hit his head, or like he? No, this guy literally held an umbrella over the president. You know, so he's in oh, his, yeah, yeah. he's in his dress uniform and he's got this umbrella out at like almost like he's holding a guide on. <laughs> yeah. So then the chances are I do. I do know who it was or that's that's what the uh, that's what the Marine that's tasked with going to the White House. There's two of them. OK. Usually two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, they are just doormen. They just open the door uh, during if you would like like during Christmas time, if you go look at the uh, uh, the White House. Yeah. There's the big Christmas tree and there's always a Marine standing at the door. They're not armed they're but they're just there like yeah. for show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. And they have to hold the umbrella over the president during, <laughs> during press conferences. So uh, the, 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 those Marines are usually uh, Marines. You, so you are, you are stuck at eighth and I in Washington, DC and you can't go anywhere from there. You can't go to the white house communications agency or camp David until your security clearance clears and it takes longer for some some of them take six months some of them take a year a year and a half two years and what they do is the guys that are there for a very long time they they go up in uh, seniority when they're at eighth and i and they become uh corporals and they become uh platoon leaders and whatnot so they're in this leadership position because they're just they're waiting for their security clearance. Then they say, Hey, your security clearance went through, but you don't have much time on your contract. So we're not going to send you to camp David. Uh, so we'll send you to the white house instead. <laughs> and if they're good Marines and I think that they, they say they don't, but I know they, they make sure you're like a certain height and look, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like the you, old you, guard. I don't know if you're familiar yeah. with the, the army's old guard, but same thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't think that if you're like, you know, five to 125 pounds, they're going to put you at the white house. Sure. Um, no. But anyways, that's funny. Uh, yeah. is that, is eighth and I, is that, um, cause we did a silky psych last year in October. We do one every year in, in, uh, Washington and we were walking along and suddenly I, I didn't know where I was. Cause I'm always talking to people when I'm on these things, but I look and there's a giant Marine Corps barracks of some sort. And there's all these Marines outside and there were two sentries and, about 90% of reverent warriors are Marines. So they all started singing the, the Marine Corps hymn. And I, I don't know where we were. We we're downtown or somewhere near <laughs> downtown Washington, D.C. And there was this giant Marine thing. What is that what that is? Or? Yep, that's got to be it. Yeah, it was. Okay. it's on uh, 8th and I, Eastern Market okay. in, in Southeast D.C. Yeah, brick so, building or whatever. Maybe it's stone. I don't know. Yeah, so you probably were at the uh, Marine Barrack, the annex, uh, okay. like where the, the, the housing is. Yeah. Um, but up the way on eighth and I street, there are a bunch of, uh, real uh, brick houses. And those are like the commandant lives there. Commandant of the Marine Corps. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Okay. So cool. Yep. Um, so then you were picked up for, for body bearer or did you volunteer? Explain that one. Cause I know a lot of, even some Marines don't know about, about that group. I never heard of them until, I don't know. I saw a, a YouTube video on it or something. Where did, where did that assignment come from? Once you're finished with your time, at Camp David, you are sent to the fleet. And before I was sent to the fleet, so I'm still at Camp David, I was sent to Corporal's Course in back in Washington, D.C. And so uh, Corporal's Course is like a, I don't know, two or three week long course. Um, and while I was in there, 
there was the guide for the body bear section. He was also in the, in corporal's course. So we were doing corporal's course together. And this was at a time when I was probably at my heaviest body weight. I was lifting a whole bunch of weights and, um, it was shortly after I fell in love with powerlifting and strongman training. And so I was a bigger, I was a bigger dude. Were you, um, were you bigger than you are now? Yeah. Especially cause in the past year I've lost a ton of weight. Okay. Um, but I was, uh, I was way over height and uh, height weight standards for the Marine Corps. <laughs> um, but I was like 250, 255. Um, and, uh, this body bear, uh, he was, he was sitting next to me. And I think at one point we had to like get up in front of the class and talk about something. And I was talking about lifting weights or something like that. Um, and he, he had, uh, asked me at lunch, he said, uh, Hey, do you know what, do you know who the body bears are? And I did know who the body bears were because I have been before camp David, I was at eighth and I, which is where the body bears live. Okay. Um, and so I knew who the body bears were and I said, yeah, I do. And he said, uh, I don't even know if he asked me if I wanted to do it. He just said, do you think you could pass a strength test? They have their own strength test. Uh, and I said, yeah, I think I could. And he said, all right. And he said, meet me down at the gym at lunch. So I went down to the gym at lunch and took the strength test. And then he said, uh, I'm going to talk to my captain and uh, we'll get you over here. You know, it was like, it was just very straightforward of like him kind of telling me. And it was something that I was interested in. Um, and so from there I was, uh, instead of going to the fleet, they changed my orders and sent me to the body bearer section to go to ceremonial drill school, which is like the, uh, tryouts for the body bearer section. And so that's, so typically a camp David Marine would leave and go to the fleet. I left and went to the body bearer section and I finished my contract as a body bearer. How, how did it affect you? It's a crazy role to, to play. And do you, do you, yeah. do you think about that when you're going in? You're like, wow, man, I'm bringing my, I'm, I'm the last person that carries my brothers. I mean, that's, it's a, that's a pretty powerful thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, uh, the best word I can use to describe it is honorable. It's, uh, it's more than, you know, civilians might think it's kind of like, uh, really, really sad or freaks you out or creeps you out. It was none of that. It was just like, just, uh, this huge feeling of, of, being honored to be able to do this. And you, when you go through uh, ceremonial drill school, CDS is what it's called. It's the training to be a body bear. That is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. It's way harder than anything I ever did in uh, the Marine Corps. It's more difficult than boot camp and the physically and psychologically. So they, they really treat you like shit uh, during <laughs> that whole, during that whole period. They just, poke you and they just know how to get in your skin. Um, and they really, really break you down physically first and then mentally. And so they, they expect you to be able to maintain your bearing during all that training. You're not going to cry. You're not going to, they have like certain things like you, when you're going through training, you can't open your mouth. Even when you're going through all this physical stuff, you breathe through your nose. You can't open your mouth because you don't open your mouth on a, a funeral, you breathe through your nose, any facial grimace, opening your mouth, any of that stuff, uh, this is, you know, you're not supposed to do it. And so they training is one extreme so that when you go out to a funeral, uh, and you are overwhelmed with a lot of emotions, when you are, when you get stuck with a very long carry, you have to carry this body for a long way. Uh, when the casket is really heavy, some are really light, some are super heavy. Um, and you're getting really tired. Uh, when you have to stand holding this casket while family member or holding the flag or the, the casket while family members talk, uh, while the, um, you know, religious, whoever's there to uh, represent them is talking, you have to stand there stone cold face. And so they try to beat that into you during training. Um, and once they think you're close to ready, you'll start going on 
funerals, easy funerals is what we'd call them. You know, what they'd be considered. We start going on these funerals while you're still in training. So you're not yet a body bearer, but you're able to go on these funerals. Uh, and once they think you're ready, then you can graduate. And I think they've changed it since I've been in, but when I was in, they didn't, there was, there was not a hard clear cut graduation. It wasn't, Hey, once you've done 50 funerals, you can, you're a body bear. Or once you pass this strength standard, you're a body bear, or you've been in CDS for four months, you're now a body bear. It was none of that. It was just whenever they felt like you were ready. Um, and so you had no idea how long you were going to be in for. Um, but I will say that, uh, not all of the funerals are KIA funerals. Yeah. I was going to ask that. Um, I assume you get the world war two guys, the Korean guys, yeah. Vietnam. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of funerals. It was a, an old man who lived a full, happy, healthy life, died at age 90. Uh, his family's there to pay respects and, and that's it. But there are, uh, full honors funerals is what they're called, uh, which are officers or enlisted who were killed in action. Um, there's been a handful of, uh, funerals for uh, guys who committed suicide. We also do funerals for um, dependents. So we uh, bury a lot of wives next to their husbands. Um, so yeah, so it, so it's not all killed in action, but, uh, but yeah, going into it, you just, uh, you're just, we're all just hoping that we do our absolute best, that there's no hiccups. Uh, you know, nobody like rolls an ankle or stumbles when you're trying to step up onto the, small thing over the, the pit that you're putting the body down into. So we're just, it's, we're just trying to uh, focus on being perfect um, and just go through, make sure that we're in perfect uh, in sync with each other and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of stuff to focus on while we're doing that. Um, yeah. Well, but, yeah. It, it makes sense. Uh, it, it completely makes sense to, to, to really just focus on the bearing aspect yeah. of it to be able to, cause I, I can imagine if you did roll an ankle, no one would know <laughs> you would be walking on it. With, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. the, the documentary I saw, I wish I remember now I'll put it in the show notes. Um, but it, it I, I feel like they were, they were doing a lot of training in a parking garage or it looked like a parking oh, yeah. garage. Yeah. So that's, that's where the body bears train. Okay. And that's where in a lot of those YouTube videos, the documentaries you're seeing, um, I'm sure I've seen it. Uh, the guys in, green PT gear, green yeah. on green. Those are body bears in training. Okay. So they, the other guy, body bears wear black and gold or black and yellow. It's called, they call it black and gold, but it's black and yellow PT gear. Um, and, uh, so once you are a body bear, you get to wear black and gold PT gear, but the, the other guys that are in green on green are in training. Yeah. And yeah, you train down in a parking garage, um, underneath the barracks that you live in. And that's where, that's where all the stuff is stored and that's where training goes. We do use the gym for workouts, but the actual body bear training, there's a, there's a simulated grave site. We do have like full steel, uh, caskets. We have, we have real caskets that they'll put weights in like, you know, barbell weights. And then, uh, what we use most is just a shit can. It's just a trash can with plates in it and gravel. And you, you and a, a partner would carry it kind of the same way you'd carry a casket. And so it's a, just a lot of carrying strength because the Marine Corps is the only branch that uses six, six Marines, six personnel instead of eight. Um, and we pride ourselves on carrying the casket higher. So usually it's at shoulder height. Um, there are some uh, officers who will come in and say, you know, I don't like that. I don't like you guys carrying like that. I want you to carry like this. But for the most part, we try to carry high, as high as we can when we're walking. And then we also do a salute to where we curl the casket and hold it up high. So you have to be strong. Yeah. And you can, and all six of you have to be strong. It's hard to have one guy who can't, doesn't really cut it because the casket's going to not be even. Or when you go to pick it up, these guys are putting a bunch of force into it. The one guy's not, it's going to dip and it looks like trash. So you have to be really strong. So, so there's a lot of carrying strength uh, involved, and that's the kind of stuff you would do down in that lower parking garage. Are they meeting your caloric needs during this time? Uh, I mean, are they just oh, yeah. feeding you guys nonstop? Or? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have, if you're, if you're, I was considered a, a smaller guy. I just have a smaller frame. There's some guys in there. <laughs> there are uh, some guys in there who are a few inches tall. I'm six feet tall. There are some guys who are six, four, you know, approaching 300 pounds, really big dudes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you have to eat uh, a lot of food and uh, it's easy. It's easy to, while you're in there because they, you down to the, and when you're in, when you're in uh ceremonial drill school, you have to go down to the cafeteria, the chow hall, you have to eat. And sometimes the instructor will come with you to make sure you're eating. Um, you have to go to lunch, you have to go to dinner. So they make sure you eat. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, day one, your alarm goes off and you are no longer, uh, a Marine. Well, I mean, you're always a Marine, right? But you're no longer a, right. uh, a, a, no a longer contract Marine. Yeah. There you go. What, yeah. what goes through your head? I am, uh, I was fortunate that I had a dream. I had a vision. I had a blueprint of exactly what I was going to do. And that was starting in my own gym. And I had been working on that. I guess, uh, I haven't even, I don't even think I've mentioned, uh, in this, this podcast that I own a gym, uh, yeah. I own a gym <laughs> called untamed strength. Um, and so opening and starting this gym was something that I was, I was dead set on doing. And I had been thinking about it probably close to two years when I had close to two years left on my contract in the Marine Corps. So I kind of made the decision when my four years, when my first contract, you know, is up, I'm not going to reenlist. I want to do this. And so I was thinking about it for a long time. And so when I was, when I got out of the Marine Corps, um, I at least had, I knew what I was going to do. Um, and it wasn't like, you know, I, I don't know what I would have done if I, if I would have said, well, I know that I don't want to reenlist, but I have no idea what I want to do. That would be, uh, that would be tough. And that would be kind of scary to, to, you know, be out having to, uh, fend for yourself, you know, as a civilian now. So, so that was my experience. I was again, fortunate that I had an idea and a plan and a vision. Uh, and so I had somewhere to go pretty much as soon as I got out. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I could talk for the next four hours on your, on your gym. Cause I, I mean, a lot of us, a lot of us, uh, you know, enjoy exercise and lifting and stuff like that. But what, what did you model your gym after? Were you like, uh, a CrossFit guy? Were you more like, I want to be like West side barbell or inside your head? Did you have your own kind of concept going on? Yeah, I knew that I, I wanted to be a strength gym. That's why I had come up with a name before I even got out of the Marine Corps untamed strength. I knew that I wanted, I wanted the word strength in there cause it was a strength gym and it was going to be barbells and strongman stuff. Uh, and the untamed just came from getting out of the military and no longer being tamed. That yeah. was kind of the gist of it. But so I, I knew I wanted to be a strength gym. Uh, the details I wasn't quite sure with, I was, I have always been more of a, uh, act now, ask questions later or figure it out along the way. Um, but I knew I wanted to be a strength gym and I was really passionate while I was in the Marine Corps. I was really passionate about strength training, uh, and, uh, some Olympic weightlifting, but more specifically squatting and deadlifting. And I got into strongman training while I was in the Marine Corps, uh, from a couple of buddies that I met who also did strongman. We had done a couple of strongman competitions together while I was in the Marine Corps still, so th I knew that I wanted a, a powerlifting and strongman type gym. Yeah, uh, I'm obsessed with strongman uh, competition. Obsessed ever since I was a kid, and I watched Magnus von Magnussen lift. And and in those days, they used to you know lift uh, VW cars. Or one one time, they yeah. were in the Solomon Islands or somewhere, and they had uh, just these local indigenous kids sitting up on this rig, and they're <laughs> lifting that. And I was like, I'm in. Yeah. I love this stuff. Strongman is just it, it it's fascinating and and it's it's such a pure sport because you know you look at things like uh, oh let's take Olympic deadlifting or or um, trying to think of something else in that take that and compare it to Brian Shaw picking up the Dinny Stones 
and walking across that bridge and setting the record. I mean, it, there's no comparison. Like, how do you prepare yeah. for that? The dude picked up these iron rings, 733 pounds, and walked them. I don't remember how far it was. It's called 15 meters. Way farther than I could ever even <laughs> try. I mean, it, it's just an amazing, amazing thing. Do you do that sort of strongman? Or are you more into the... Uh, you know, the, the, and they do that in the strongman competitions, obviously they do the official deadlifts and they do things like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Strongman has become a lot more standardized now. It's, it's actually considered a, a sport. I mean, considered by who, I don't know. I'm just saying that, but it's strongman really is treated like a sport. Uh, and there are professional strongman. So the, the guys at the top, like half Thor Bjornson, you know, he's the mountain from game of Thrones and, and Brian Shaw and Eddie Hall, these guys can all pretty much be the best at strongman and make a living off of it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whereas those old competitions you talked about in the seventies and the eighties, that was a lot. None of those guys were like really getting paid for that. That yeah. was all, that was much more of a, a spectacle. It was kind of like a circus sideshow, you know, yeah. like, let's get these guys to lift a car or a, put a refrigerator on their back and run with it. Um, so I think those the events are really fun to watch because they're just so unpredictable. And I think they're honestly more relatable to uh, just, you know, your average Joe, because they see someone lifting a Volkswagen and they're like, holy shit, he's lifting a car or he's got a fridge on his back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But <laughs> when you see nowadays when they're doing a deadlift with, uh, you know, 25 kilo calibrated plates and they have a thousand pounds on it, it just, I mean, it just looks like a barbell and some weights. Yeah. And so, you know, if you don't really know what you're looking at, it's like, okay, this is just some big yeah, I get that. muscle guy deadlifting. But to see them lifting up, you know, an actual rock, like a real rock, it's like 450 so awesome. pounds. Yeah. Uh, it's it's easier to get into that. Or like, you know, they do like the bending the bar across their, their, their head or something like that. Uh, but they don't do a whole lot of that in strongman now. It's much more standardized. So it's, you know, uh, all the equipment is standardized. The events are pretty predictable. There's always this event and this event and this event. Uh, but nevertheless, it's still fun to watch. Um, but yeah, that's just kind of an observation I've had that that it, it is a lot more standardized and more more sport-like. Now. Yeah. If you're going to set records and if you're going to, you know, have these large payouts, you got to be more yep. standardized. I mean, how do you go into a, a competition, right? I always wondered this too, and I, I guess you could... You could look at like, how do you go, how does a baseball player go into a season knowing that we've already had a Barry Bonds and a Sammy Sosa and a Mark McGuire, right? How do you go into a yeah. season? But how do you go into a strongman competition and know that Hapthor already just destroyed the deadlift record? Like where, where, where do you go? Are you like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to aim for a hundred homers this season. I'm going to aim for 1250 pound deadlift. Did they reach a ceiling or is this still something that, that is wide open? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's like that in all sports, you know, like when they said, you know, like, well, this guy just broke the, the five minute mile, you know, like what's the point now? Uh, this guy just broke the four minute mile. What's the point? Of, like people are always going to try sure. to beat world records. Uh, yeah. but I, I think that everyone has something they're drawn to, uh, meaning, you know, Eddie Hall might say, I think the heaviest deadlift in history is the most impressive thing I can do. That's what I'm going to go for. Uh, whereas, you know, Brian Shaw says he has said in one of his videos that he doesn't care about any title. He thinks the most important thing to him is world's strongest man titles. So he wants more than anything to get his fifth world's strongest man title. He has four right now. And there's only a couple other guys ever to have claimed five titles. So he wants that. Whereas, half Thor might say, I want the world record deadlift. I want to be the guy to deadlift the most weight. Um, and so, you know, everyone's kind of has their own thing that they're drawn to. Um, but I, th I think that as far as breaking records, I think that I don't think it'll ever stop. I'm sure there's someone out there who is thinking, you know, half Thor just deadlifted 501 kilos. One day I want to do 502. Yeah. I don't think it'll ever stop. And it's not like it's not like Hapthor today could go out and do that, right? They train themselves to break that record. And then mm -hmm. I mean, I assume the next day their their strength curve has already dropped off, right? Yeah, that's the 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 like, you know, pinnacle of human achievement. Uh, and it's true a true peak. Uh Eddie Hall, in fact, so Eddie Hall, I keep mentioning his name. He's a he beast. had the he had the uh the deadlift record that half Thor broke. So right. 
Eddie Hall was the first to deadlift 500 kilograms. Half Thor just recently did 501. But Eddie Hall, uh, he broke that 500 kilo deadlift record. He won World's Strongest Man one time, which is all he wanted to do. He just wanted that title. And then he retired. Yeah. And he has not competed, like, you know, formally since then. And because he was, he was quite literally killing himself to get there with the amount of food he was eating, the body weight he was holding on to, the amount of drugs and steroids, and who knows if they're, you know, pain reliever pills. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like a dark side to this, you know, uh, but you got to be pretty out of your mind to want to pursue 500 kilogram deadlift. Yeah. So anyways, he had to retire and he did because his doctor, you know, he had a little, uh, documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Strong. And, it, and yeah. And I think it was in that one where his doctor was looking at his heart health and whatnot and his blood pressure. And was like, you're going to kill yourself like any minute now, you, you know? So it was like, do or die. Literally. I need to do this record so I can stop trying to kill myself to get here. So uh, yeah, like it was so important to him that he was willing to totally put his health on the line for it. You know? Yeah. It's amazing documentary. And he's, he's such a shit talker that I love watching him because you know, he just knows how to promote it. Right. It's like, it's like a good UFC fight. If they don't know how to promote it, they don't get the right shit talking. uh, Then it's like, why am I going to watch this? But they, yeah, I was just going to say, he's like the Conor McGregor of really is uh, strong man. And they get me, UFC gets me every single time. Cause I'm like, ah, do you know what? I don't want, and then I'll start watching their, their, their back and forth. And I'm like, well now I got to watch it because I got to see. Yep. The, the beard, have you ever shaved it? No. Really? So you, how no. many years of, of, of growth do you have right now? It's been uh, a little over seven years. Oh, that's amazing. I trim my mustache, but I have not uh, touched my beard or my, or my hair. That's awesome. I, I always yeah. tell my wife, I like, cause I, man, I'm a, I'm a PA, so I got to see patients and stuff. But, yeah. um, my dream, like if I didn't have to be a, a, a you know, wear a shirt and tie into all that stuff. I would have your hair right there. Cause I, I actually have dreams. I don't know. Do you have these? I wake up and I'm like, in my dream, I shave and I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, why the hell did I do that? And I, mm-hmm. and I, I get so depressed and then I think it's real. And then I wake up and I'm like, Oh God, it's still there. <laughs> so I, uh, I used to have those. I'd say the probably the first two years of growth, I did have those dreams and yeah. I, would, I would wake up and I, you know, kind of be frozen. Like, it's was so that a dream? Weird. Was that a dream? And then I touched my face. <laughs> But now I don't have those dreams anymore, yeah. but, uh, the most, um, yeah, the most I got was a fistful. I had a fistful at yeah. one point and I was like, uh, I just trimmed it. And then even that, even when you trim, then you're depressed for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think there will be a time when I say I'm sick and tired of all this hair. I'm going to get rid of it. But, it, uh, so far it does not bother me and I, I like it. Um, I actually take a lot of pride in the fact that I told my good buddy in the Marine Corps, Paul Sanders, I told him, I said, man, when I get out, there's three things I want, a beard, a ponytail, and a gym. And I still <laughs> have those three things, so I'm pretty happy about that. That is pretty sweet. That's a great way to end it right there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'll definitely, we'll, we'll plan on getting you on again. I mean, it might be six months, it might be even next year, whatever. We're not going anywhere, like I said, but I, I want to get you on because I want to talk about Untamed uh, Strength. And it's just un- at Untamed Strength on Instagram. Yep. Um, and you can really just put in on YouTube, Alan Thrall, A-L-A-N. A-L-A-N. Yep. Okay. T-H-R-A-L-L. Yep. Um, yeah, that or Untamed Strength. Yep. And you on, got, on, on, your on YouTube channel's killing it, right? Yeah, it's doing pretty good. It's over, uh, over 700,000 subscribers Dude, right that's now. That's freaking awesome. And did you have uh, any yeah. idea that that would happen? No, absolutely not. So that's, no, I mean, that's like just, I, that's just like, what do they call that? Icing on the cake, right? Cause you built your gym and then suddenly people are engaged and they want to hear about it. And now you have this, this untapped source of revenue that, that was not in, in the plan. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It was, it was really just, uh, uh, I don't know if we're trying to like end it right now, but I, yeah, can, uh, I, I do this. I'll be like, yeah, yeah we got to end it. But then I, I'm just so freaking curious. <laughs> no, I don't know if you're, if you're on like a time limit to where it's going to shut off or whatnot. But, no, 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 we're not. We're not, so, but I didn't want to keep you longer than, than, you know, you had. Yeah. Time, I hear you. I, uh, I, uh, you know, after I had exhausted every form of, of marketing for the gym, uh, I was kind of stuck that I wasn't making much progress you know, several months after starting the gym, a year after starting the gym. And uh, I was really down. I didn't, I didn't know what to do now. Cause I had all these ideas before opening the gym. And once I had 
you know, followed through with all these ideas and I still wasn't getting anywhere. I was kind of like, shit, what am I supposed to do now? Um, and I didn't, I didn't really have many members. I didn't have any clients. Um, and so I actually would sit down in the morning and I would write down three things that I'm going to do today. Uh, no matter how small they are, it could be go talk to someone about untamed strength, go tell someone that I opened a gym. It's just three things that I had to do that day. Um, and sometimes I would literally sit there for 45 minutes. Like, I don't know what else I could do. And, uh, I remember, uh, just talking to someone in the gym about, uh, something they saw on online and I didn't even really know what, you know, what these videos were, but something that they had seen online, uh, on a video. And so I thought, uh, I wrote down one day, uh, start recording a video. And so I started recording videos just of members of the gym and posting those, but nobody's going to click on a video of some random people working out at a gym. They don't know that might be, you know, across the United States or across the world, you know, who knows? Right. So those videos didn't really do well. Um, but th- I eventually thought of if I don't have any members or clients to help, or maybe I do have a couple and I'll teach them something, uh, today I'll say, Hey, today we're going to learn how to do a, a strongman workout, or we're going to learn how to do a squat, a barbell squat. Uh, and I teach them and I would see that they'd get a lot out of it. And I'd be like, like if they're, if they enjoy this and if that was well received by them, I think that other people can benefit from this too. And I started doing, I said, I'm just going to make an instructional video and post it on YouTube. And the instructional videos that I made, the first four were really, really popular. And they, you know, I guess went viral. And that was kind of the, the turning point of, wow, maybe I could do something with YouTube. Um, so that's how I had started. It was just something I wrote down of, I'm going to do that today. And I thought I don't have many members to help. So I'm going to try to help more people. So I'll, I'll make this information available online. Yeah. Um, so that's how it started. Yeah. And it, it took off. That's freaking awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah, I did when I was, uh, when I found you, uh, you had a sandbag, I think, uh, workout on there and I, I'm ups- I got like 30 pounds up to 250 pounds sandbags. It's just my thing. I love lifting sandbags. Yeah. Uh, I just, I could never get into, I have my deadlift bar and all that stuff, my Olympic bar, whatever you want to call it. And it doesn't get used. I just go out there and I pick up sandbags and throw them around. Uh, And I did your workout. It was pretty good. Uh, nice. One of them in the, in the garage there. I'm like, yeah, we'll do this one. That's awesome. Made me almost puke, but what are you going to (laughs) do? That's cool. All right, man. Well, uh, again, people can find you at untamed strength right? Did I say that right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, and then just uh, look on YouTube and we will get you on again because I, I really want to hear the story about this, uh, the gym and, and how you how you brought it on. Awesome, man. I can't wait. That sounds cool. Cool, cool. cool. Well, hey, thanks for your time. Uh, if people like you didn't take your time to talk to us, then, you know, we wouldn't do what we do. So I really, really appreciate it. Of course, man. Thanks again. All right, cool. You take care. All right, you too. All right, bye.